0: This week, the Comics Guys explain Quality Comics, Part 4. Hello, yes, thank you, Ben. Welcome back to the history of Quality Comics. Uh, Last time we talked about uh, Black Hawk and Plastic Man, uh, among other less popular characters. Uh, This time we're going to take us through the end, uh, from where we left off, to the end of Quality as a Company and Maybe talk about some where some of these characters have ended up and how they've ended up. DC, but yeah, what's happened to them? There. <laughs> spoiler alert! Yeah, but spoiler, the spoiler. It's, it's DC. Uh, the whole the whole company. Uh, none of them. None. Of, they don't get like drafted to other uh, to between Marvel and DC.
1: Um,
0: so we're in the 1950s, right,
1: Darren? We're, well. we will pretty much start with 1950. Like I said, Blackhawk has gotten uh, signed to do a serial. The serial doesn't come out until 52. Um, but right now, Blackhawk is paying the bills at quality. Right? It's 1950. Blackhawk is absolutely their best-selling comic, and it's one of the few titles that hasn't lost any ground. Um, you know, after the war. Right? Like uh, the you know uh, young soldiers coming home from the war. Um, they're going to school on the GI Bill. They're starting families, etc. And so, you know, like the, the the kinds of comics that are selling on the stands, first of all, all comics are selling fewer than they used to. But the kinds that are still selling on the stands um, tend to be uh, not superheroes, not adventure titles uh, anymore. Romances are big. Um, true life, you know, drama, uh, uh, Hollywood drama uh, comics are big. Crime is getting big. Horror is getting big. Um, and, like, superheroes and adventures are, are kind of, like, falling off. Um, in 1950, the company is still owned by three people, right? It's it's B- Busy Arnold and the Cowles Brothers. Um, and in 1950, Arnold buys out the Cowles Brothers for $140,000 for their shares of the company in order to take it over himself. Um they have made, you know, a, a tremendous success, frankly, by anybody's standards. Um, you know, in 13 years, uh, they've made millions of dollars uh, on their, you know, thousand dollar investment into the company back in, you know, 1937 38. Right. So they are, you know, they 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 completely happy with what they've done. They're ready to retire. So busy buys them out to, you know, and is staying in the business as the sole publisher of the company. Um, and he, you know, immediately kind of like turns around and makes the deal to get the Black Hawk movie made. That's the first kind of like, you know, business thing for quality that happens that just has Busy's name on it, right? Like nobody else is, uh, you know, nobody else gets a piece of this. And so, uh, he, they start doing, uh, you know, looking around for what's going to sell, what's going to replace these titles. Right? Like Kid Eternity is now uh, canceled. Uh, uh, you know, most of the other superheroes are gone. Uh Dollman is still going, um, you know, which is it's kind of like odd to think in retrospect that Dollman was, you know, like one of the last ones standing, but he was. Um and you know, Bus- busy tries out a bunch of other things, right? He's still got a full studio. Of workers, uh, you know, uh, uh, churning out material full time out there in Stamford, Connecticut. They try a series called T-Man, which is uh, the Treasury Men, uh, which will be there, you know, to try to do a, uh, uh, you know, government agents type uh, uh, comic. They try some pirate stuff. Um, they start doing uh, in '51 and '52. They start doing a couple of um, like war and nostalgia titles, right? They like GI Combat. Actually makes its debut in 1952, right around the time that Korea is starting to happen, right? And like some soldiers are going back, you know, uh, a new generation of soldiers are going out. Plus, some of the older older soldiers are going back from the war, going back abroad to Korea to fight. And uh, you know, Busy wants to have a, uh, a a war action title on the stands for them too. So you know, between Blackhawk and GI Combat, you know, they're 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 still selling at PXs, right? Um, They also even try a crossover comic called True War Romances, which is literally a romance uh, romance comic set in wartime. Right? You know, it's all about uh, you know soldiers and nurses and whatever falling in love with each other. Um, Quality stays away from true crime and horror for the most part. Uh, They do one horror title, which is called Web of Evil, and. Web of Evil was comparatively very mild compared to the stuff that you know, like the the stuff that EC was doing, the things that we talk about uh, in our uh, Comics Code episode, the, the the stuff that made the Comics Code uh, necessary in the first place. Um, and so, Web of Evil did not really have enormous amounts of gore or anything in it. Um, but despite that, because it was coming from Quality and Quality was one of the big name titles, uh, Web of Evil kind of like got targeted. By Frederick Wortham, um, in uh, you know in in his book in Seduction of the Innocent, um, and very quickly Busy Arnold kind of like you know saw which way the wind was blowing and canceled it. He was just like this is not important enough to me to you know go down fighting over this. I'm not this is not key to my success as a publisher. I'm just going to uh, abandon it. Um, Wortham also pointed out uh, Torchy, which was one of kind of like the comedy romance series. Um, that they had done, which once again was like you know really kind of mild by the standards of uh, you know like what was actually bad out there in the early fifties, um, and you know nobody ever quite understood what Wortham's problem with Torchy was, but uh, he he absolutely uh, suggested a couple of times in Seduction of the Evil that there was you know like lesbian content and that sort of thing in in Torchy, which really you have to squint pretty hard to see. Uh, you know, like what the concern would be, but nevertheless, uh, that also got you know targeted by Wortham, and once again, uh, you know, facing that sort of thing, Busy Arnold folded uh, very quickly uh, and just canceled Torchy for no, you know, particular, uh, you know, no particular interest. Um, so by 1952, uh, you know, once again, that's they're, they're they're really down to just uh, you know, to, well, GI Combat is selling and Blackhawk is selling, um, and the rest of the titles kind of, you know, start to start to fade. Uh, 1953 crack western dies, uh, and police dies, which means uh, Plastic Man only has his own uh, quality has his own, only has his own uh, quarterly title left. Um, the Spirit section. Ends around this point. At this point, Busy Arnold and Will Eisner kind of like fold up their partnership, and Eisner is no longer doing the Spirit. The Spirit is no longer being uh, sold in newspapers anymore. Um, and fairly quickly after that, the the reprint title that uh, Quality is doing also folds. Quality tries a bunch of kids titles uh, at this point that kind of like introduce some new characters who are you know uh, uh, kid cartoon types. They have a character called Buster Bear who gets his own series. And they're trying more romances. Uh, Diary Loves uh, uh, joins um, true war romances and becomes GI sweethearts as they think they have kind of like found a niche there that they can actually function with. Um, and by the end of 1953, even Dollman gives up the ghost. Uh, the series sales have like gone, you know, like into the in, in, into the shredder there. Um, and Dollman is the last costumed super uh, title. Actually, Plastic Man goes first. Um, and then uh Dollman goes right afterwards. Dollman is actually the last costume super title for quality um once again depending on what you count Blackhawk as and is really one of the very last golden age superheroes to give up to quit, right? To give up its its publication. Um during the time this like 51 to 53 is literally when Stan Lee at Atlas if you remember our, our Marvel Atlas history for it, when he tries his first comeback of superheroes, right? Like superheroes have been gone and unpopular for so long at this point that Stan Lee thinks it's time to bring back Captain America and the Human Torch and Submariner, and that fails. Right. So like by 1953, we've already like been through one revival, even that didn't really work. And so when in 53, when Cap and Human Torch and Submariner, their second try fails and Dollman fails. Uh, that's really pretty much the end of non-DC superheroes for comics. There, there's really nobody left standing. The only characters who are who are absolutely superheroes who have their own comics at this point are Superman, who's got two. He's got Superman and Action. Batman has two. He's got Batman and Detective. Wonder Woman has her own comic, and Adventure Comics stars Superboy. And has occasional backup features in it that have kept like Green Arrow and Aquaman alive. Right. This, the, and that's it. That's all we've got for like the entire, you know, the, the entire newsstand is completely done uh, with superhero titles. Um, quality keeps going. Right. Quality goes for another several years, two or three years after that. They do a bunch more romances. They have titles called Girls in Love and Wedding Bells and that sort of thing. They try more army titles. They do some historical ones. They do a Daniel Boone uh, title, right? Like all of these titles uh, continue to go along. And but every year they're losing ground. More and more of them are starting to kind of like uh, close down. By the end of 1956. Um, or over 1955 to 1956. If you remember the situation that we were having, uh, once again, in the Marvel history, where the other distribution companies were getting out of the comic book business, and the only distributor that was still handling comic books to newsstands was Independent News, um, and Independent News was part of the same corporation as DC. So Independent News had no financial Incentive whatsoever to keep competitors of DC, uh, you know, like well stocked on the stands of newsstands and and uh, you know whatever retailers were carrying them at that point, right? And so independent news basically went to every other comic book publisher that was using them for distribution uh, and said, "You only have X number of slots that we will even carry for you, right? You can have eight comics a month." total that's the your total line right is what they said to atlas and what they said to uh people like uh um quality right so by you know quality very quickly kind of like trims its line down to its six to eight best-selling titles over 1955 and 56 uh you know in kind of like a desperate attempt to keep the uh, this sort of thing going um at this point jack cole who had been doing Plastic Man and then had kind of like gone over to the other more humor stuff because, you know, Plastic Man was really the only superhero he was interested in. He was not certainly not interested in telling any kind of serious superhero stories, had instead kind of like moved his stuff over to uh, uh, the, the comedy lines, to the cartoon stories, and had developed a very much more kind of like a a, a, a gag comic kind of like sensibility of what he was doing. He was doing the kind of humor that you were starting to see in like Mad Magazine and that sort of thing, right? And uh, he's absolutely the best cartoonist in the studio. And Busy Arnold would have loved to have kept him there doing that, except that uh, in 1956, he get or in late 1955, he gets recruited away from uh, quality in particular and uh, comic books in general by Playboy magazine. Hugh Hefner goes to him and says, "We want Jack Cole to be doing gags for Playboy, instead." And of course, it was a multiple time increase in salary uh, for Cole to, you know, for, for for Cole to quit comics basically and go over to a comic uh, to a uh, magazine that was as big a deal as Playboy. Right at this point, Playboy is, you know, like very quickly becoming one of the the, the biggest magazines in the in the country, and he was doing. You know, 15 or 20 pages of it uh, a month, um, just doing like gag adult cartoons uh, for them. So now, busy Arnold is looking at the situation. He's been limited by his distributor, right, and what he can actually publish. His best guy has just been stolen away from him and says, "You know what? I am done. That's you know, the, the, the comic book business is pretty much over for me. This is no longer worth the money. We had to go through all of that hassle with the um, the Comics Code Authority, even though I was, you know, only had a couple of titles affected by it. It was still, you know, like obnoxious. And now everything we do has to be submitted through, uh, you know, like the Comics Code Authority and everything. I am just finished. And so he looks around for a place to sell the company to, and can't really find anybody who wants to buy the company outright. Um, but he talks to DC. And DC says, yeah, we're interested in some of your, your, some of your comics. Some of your comics are still actually making money. Um, you know, so we'd like to, we'd like to buy uh, a few of your titles. Um, and so uh, he makes a deal with DC where he outright sells three, co- three comics that were still functioning at the time to them. Uh, those three comics were GI Combat, which stayed running... For quite some time for DC, uh, it, It's eventually where DC put um, Sergeant Rock and some of those characters uh, over into DC into GI Combat, sold them a romance title card called Heartthrobs that lasted for another year or two before DC finally killed it, um, and a title called Robin Hood Tales, uh, which uh, you know was basically a you know like a, you know medieval adventure series starring actually Robin Hood you know as a public domain character. Um, and was had been selling pretty well in the mid-50s and once again only lasted about a year or so under DC's management before they killed him. Arnold worked out a deal with DC where he said, okay, the one thing I have that's actually worth anything uh right now is Blackhawk. And I don't want to sell it to you outright, right? Like I'm still making money from uh the movie residuals and that sort of thing. Um, and the radio show is still occasionally getting shown and that sort of thing. I don't want to give up that source of income but I also don't want to publish the comic going any for- going forward right like I want to get out of the comic book publishing business and I want to shut down my studio so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold on to the IP rights of Blackhawk and I will basically just lease the series to you right so you can keep putting out this successful Blackhawk comic which is the only thing I have that's actually making money besides GI Combat really um and uh, you know you can keep putting it out my, I'll send all of the IP and everything to you, but I'm still the final owner, and you will basically just pay me a fee every year for the right to make Blackhawk comics. And DC says, "Well, you know that's actually not a bad idea. Um, you know we totally understand what your what what, what your situation is. Blackhawk is still worth the money to us, so let's work out uh, a a licensing deal." And so it's Erwin Donenfeld, um, and Julie Schwartz, and Mort Weisinger, basically, who make this deal. With busy to bring on Blackhawk and also bring on all of Blackhawk's creative team, right? And so when DC takes over Blackhawk and also GI Combat, with them come several of the guys who had been living in Stanford, uh, you know, like working in the Stanford, Connecticut studio, who basically move over to DC. They have to come back to New York City, get places in New York City, or commute one or the other. Um, and go to work in DC, not just doing Black Hawk, but they also start doing other DC titles. The most notable of those are uh, Chuck Quidera, um, who was still the anchor on Black Hawk at that point, uh, who would then uh, also become one of the artists on Hawk Band, um, and also do a bunch of the early Brave and the Bold uh, stories. And Dick Dillon, uh, who was uh, the primary artist for GI Combat, also picked up uh, Justice League to replace Mike Sikowski when Mike Sikowski retired um, as the Justice League artist. So at the time that they're doing this, you know, like I said, they've 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 done this deal with Blackhawk, uh, and they've also you know outright bought three other titles. Also with this deal, they acquired all of the back issue rights uh, and all of the copyrights and trademarks for the other stuff that Quality had done, right? Um, all of the old st- series, anything anything they wanted to reprint, et cetera, and also the rights to all of these characters, which Busy Arnold at this point determined was worth nothing, right? Like he literally did not charge DC for this portion of the contract because cool. none of these characters, in his opinion, were ever going to see the light of day again, right? They were, they, they were all just kind of like gone. Um, and DC picked them up for pretty much nothing. And when DC picked them up, they did not file renewal of copyrights for most of them. Right? Because DC. didn't really think this was worth anything, but thought there was a possibility maybe they could make some money reprinting some of the old stuff later. You know? So many of the characters uh, whose you know origin points went back far enough, uh, basically fell into the public domain. Um, the most notable of those is the clock, who became a public domain character. Nobody owns the rights to the clock anymore. There are people who own individual appearances of the clock. You know, some of those comics are still under copyright, but the original appearances of the clock and uh, the concept of the character, the trademark of the character and everything is public domain and anybody can use it. Um, since then, uh, Malibu did a clock series in 1992 that they didn't have to pay anything for, and Dynamite used the clock in a t- uh, 2013 series. Um, just as an example of like ways that you could actually get these guys used. This lasts. For a p- relatively short period of time, once Busy Arnold gets out of uh, you know like publishing, he really gets out of publishing, right? Or he gets out of comic books anyway. And what he does instead is goes to um, making pulpy slick magazines, right? He's gonna you know like uh, uh, comic books are, are are a fading you know fad, a fading style, and slick magazines are, are the new things going forward. Nice bright color. Uh, full-color magazines, mostly, uh, you know, he would do mostly kind of like manly uh, men's exploits adventures, right? Uh, they were the, the genre was called, at the time, was called sweats uh, because they mm-hmm. mostly had covers of like sweaty men doing, you know, like action things on the cover. There were detective stories and uh, westerns and, uh, you know, like pulp adventurers, hunters in, you know, the great white hunter in Africa kind of like things. And he did a bunch of those, Um, starting in 56 and lasting well into the 60s and 70s. There were a few other titles that they did uh, that were um, photography titles. And photography titles were kind of like well-known at the time as a cover for uh, basically softcore porn. Right, like it's like, you know, these photography uh, titles all seem to have a great many boudoir uh, uh, appearances of, uh, you know, like women in lingerie and that sort of thing. And some of them, you know, kind of like cross the line into actually having nudity. Uh, None of Busy's ever uh, did except for one. Uh, One title was called Classic Photography. And Classic Photography uh, in 1956, it did include um, some nudes. Uh, Some of them famously by uh, by fetish, uh, fetish artist uh, Bunny Yeager um, did uh, uh, some of the stuff that was in classic photography. And in 1956, two issues of classic photography uh, were not shipped, uh, but were stopped by the American Post Office because they were deemed to be obscene. And so two titles, two actual issues of the series were stopped at the, you know, stopped at the printer, basically, and were not allowed to be published um, until eventually uh, busy you know kind of like took out the, uh, the 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 scandalous nude pictures um by the early to mid 1960s um Buzzy had pretty much retired to florida turned over the business to uh, other people and he died there of undisclosed causes in 1974 meanwhile dc doesn't really realize uh, what they have in this, you know, what they what they basically stuck in the closet, right? Like, sure, Blackhawk keeps publishing all through the '50s into the '60s. Uh, you know, no particular stuff. Uh, GI Combat keeps going, and those are the two that they have inherited. Uh, you know that that stay basically, and both uh, uh, you know continue publishing. Um, Jack Cole commits suicide in 1958, and when he does, he's become a big enough name at uh, at Playboy. That uh, you know, DC kind of like notices that. Oh yeah, he did this thing called Plastic Man. Do we even own Plastic Man? Like they literally were uncertain that they actually like owned the rights to that because the whole thing had been such like a tossed off you know like handshake agreement you know like a few years before so they don't know they're they're not certain whether they do or not and it's not until the mid-60s that they actually decide to do anything with him by the time he comes out again by the time they realize that they actually have a thing in him he has already been kind of like replaced in the public mind as a stretchy hero he's been kind of like forgotten and the stretchy heroes of today are mr fantastic From the Fantastic Four, who is super popular over at Marvel in the 60s, and Elongated Man, who is basically what uh, Julie Schwartz used in a, and Carmen Infantino used in a Flash comic because they didn't believe that they actually owned the rights to Plastic Man, but they thought the character idea was kind of cool, so they made their own stretchy guy instead. So DC now has two stretchy guys uh, because they didn't realize they owned the first one um, and, you know, kept the replacement one around. Um, the first time Plastic Man actually appears in a DC character, uh, he shows up in a issue of Dial H for Hero, where uh, the kid who has the, the the shtick of Dial H for Hero is that every issue, uh, the the kid turns into a several different new superheroes um, over the course of the story, most of which have been submitted by fans. Right. Like, our, you know, like come from drawings and letters to the editor that were sent in by kids, basically. Um, but one of the characters that he turns into is that famous old crime fighter from yesteryear uh, called Plastic Man. And he you know, spends a couple of pages basically being Plastic Man. That was kind of a tryout, basically, that led to a short uh, Plastic Man series that lasted for 10 issues was not part of the DC universe. It was straight-up comedy, and once again, was kind of like one of the first places that we saw Plastic Man now being the funny guy. Now Plastic Man's the, 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 the clown, the character who tells jokes and everything, uh, kind of appears for the first time in that 10-issue series. Didn't really sell, and they kind of put him away again. Um, in the mid-'70s, he uh, showed up as a, in a team-up with Batman in Brave and the Bold which was the first time he's part of the DC universe. It's the first time he's actually like interacting with a DC character. And that was a setup for um, their plan, which was uh, to make a Saturday morning cartoon show out of him, uh, which was done by the same studio, Ruby Spears, uh, that did Super Friends. And uh, the first season of the Plastic Man Saturday morning cartoon show was in 1979 where it was literally uh, the second part of like a shared hour of adventures with the Super Friends. The Super Friends were on for half an hour first. And then uh, Plastic Man would have a half hour show after that. Um, That stayed on until 1981. There were three full seasons of the Plastic Man um, comedy hour, or whatever it was called there. Um, And from that point on, Plastic Man was pretty much an established regular character of the DC universe. Roy Thomas used to be an all-star. Grant Morrison used him excellently in Justice League. Uh, you know he has remained kind of like a you know second tier character and, and part of the you know functioning DC universe ever since. Blackhawk also keeps running into the 70s, and in the mid 1970s, Blackhawk uh, you know has uh, gets a gets a revival. Um, this is the the Mark Evanier one specifically because DC, uh, newly acquired by Warner Brothers, is looking at ways to use its IP. And they talk to this young, exciting new director uh, who has, you know, just done a couple of like really cool things like Jaws and that sort of thing. And this guy, Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg is an enormous uh, Blackhawk fan. And he does and he he buys the option, he buys the rights, he pays DC for the rights to make a Blackhawk movie and holds on to it for a while. Um, In the late 70s, he was uh, actually gotten so far to the point where he had talked to fellow fan Dan Aykroyd about starring in such a movie. Um, And they were going to do it, but uh, it was abandoned um, due to uh, various reasons. uh, uh, They weren't satisfied with the script. And by the way, Steven Spielberg was going to be a little busy uh, that coming summer because he had to work on Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so, uh, you know, Raiders kind of like took the place of uh, of Blackhawks on the uh, on the schedule and Blackhawks kind of never came back. Steven Spielberg continues 30 years later, almost 40 years later, to own the option uh, for uh, Blackhawk. And every so often uh, it gets suggested that he's going to do it again, um, supposedly. Now that he is done with West Side Story, it is going to be the next, that was announced in 2018 that they were serious about it this time, and he was really absolutely this time for, for no kittens, uh, gonna make the movie, um, and was going to get to it after West Side Story. Um, West Side Story is done and out, obviously, and we still have no confirmation that this will be the next thing that Steven Spielberg does. Um, I tend to you know, not hold my breath for this, because like I said, it's been 40 years uh, uh, waiting for him to get around to this. Uh, but supposedly uh, it's still a thing that's going to happen. Speaking of movies, and unfortunate movies for that sort of character, there was supposed to be a Plastic Man movie uh, that was going to be made in the early 90s. Um, It was a deal that Warner Brothers had cut with Amblin, uh, Amblin Entertainment. Steven Spielberg was going to be one of the producers of it. Um, uh, That was going to be written uh, by the Wachowskis pre-Matrix, right? This is, you know, like the Wachowskis aren't famous yet, but this was a a script uh, that they had submitted. Um, Nobody had heard of them, but it was, uh, you know, everybody agreed. It was a very well done script and it was going to star uh, Paul Rubens. Pee Wee Herman uh, was going to play Plastic Man in it. This project was scuttled, of course, in the summer of 1991, when uh, Rubin's adventures in creative movie watching uh, in public uh, kind of like came to public. He was arrested in a porn theater for, uh, you know, public nudity, um, and the scandal basically killed uh, off the idea of the Plastic Man movie actually happening, um, and uh, has never, you know, really come back. So we don't have either movie, uh, you know, that we were supposedly supposed to have in the '70s. DC finally got around to taking a look at the rest of the characters that they owned, and uh, were, you know, at that point they had done several uh, crossovers in the Justice League where they had established the existence of uh, alternate Earths. Right? We had the the whole Earth One, Earth Two, Earth S storylines. Uh, Earth S had not actually come around to be named that yet, um, but they'd done Earth One, Earth Two, and Earth Three. And so that year's, in 1973, that year's summer uh, team-up between the Justice League and the Justice Society sent them to the mysterious world of Earth-X. And in the world of Earth-X, the Nazis had actually won World War II and were still in control of the world in 1973. And the underground fighting against the, the resistance against the Nazis was made up of a bunch of the quality heroes who called themselves the Freedom Fighters. And the lineup uh, for the original Freedom Fighters was Uncle Sam, the Human Bomb, Doll Man, Black Condor, the Ray, and Phantom Lady, uh, who you know were all revealed to have been basically fighting the good fight against the Nazis for the last 28 years um, since the Nazis had won the war. Uh, once the Justice League and Justice Society accidentally wound up their planet, of course this was not going to stand, and our heroes teamed up uh, with those uh, Freedom Fighters, basically, and finally successfully overthrew the Nazis uh, in 1973 and freed, uh, you know, Earth X, uh, leaving the Freedom Fighters as the the, the primary heroes from that world. Um, that story was sufficiently popular that a few years later, uh, 1975 and 76. Uh, There was an actual Freedom Fighters stand-up series in which the Freedom Fighters traveled from Earth-X to Earth-1 and had a bunch of adventures here where they teamed up with a few superheroes and, uh, you know, battled some villains and that sort of thing. Um, Was not a terribly popular series and was canceled after issue number 16. They continued to post-crisis, uh, post-1985, uh, several of the characters were kind of like plundered. Their names, at least, were used for additional other characters. New versions of the Black Condor and the Ray, who was particularly popular, was particularly successful, but also uh, Phantom uh, uh, Phantom Lady, um, a couple of others, basically were rebooted into other new characters that, for a while, had their own series. A couple of them joined the Justice League. Um, Ray was in Young Justice for a little while because he was kind of a teenager hero, Um, and then starting in 2006, a brand new set of characters, uh, unrelated to the previous new reboots, uh, also used those characters' names going forward, Um, and so there was a new Uncle Sam and yet a new Black Condor and Ray and Dollman, etc. Uh, who all became a new team of the Freedom Fighters, and Freedom Fighters have remained, like Plastic Man, part of the DC Universe pretty much ever since. Um, you know, rarely having anything that lasts for an enormous amount of time. Jimmy Palmiotti wrote a couple of really good stories for that team, uh, but that was basically the the you know the where all of those characters have ended up. Um, and uh, at some point, we hope to see whether or not uh, there's there's going to be any new ones. Um, or if there's going to be perhaps a revival of the original Blackhawks, if the uh, movie does come along,
0: yeah, and imagine if a movie comes out, we'll see a Blackhawks like series come out along with it.
1: You would think you'd have to, right? I mean, He's that would really be, you know, that.
0: Right. But Then again, I'm not holding my breath for the series either, or for the movie. I mean,
1: the DC universe, DC, first of all, needs to figure out like World War how World War II went for them and settle on something, right? <laughs> you know. Because every every new reboot that comes along completely rewrites who was there and what happened in World War II. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. I, I'd imagine. I, I I thought I saw a thing about DC might be doing another reboot soon. So, we might end up seeing a lot of them come back. Because that's usually when they try a lot of new series. Right. So, Crisis on Every Dimension. After that, you know,
1: Crisis on Earth, Spielberg. Yeah um
0: all right well i'd uh, I'd pay to
1: see that one actually that would that's now that i think of the more i the more i make that joke the happier i am with it
0: what prices on infinite earths by steven spielberg
1: yeah by by spielberg
0: yeah that'd be great i'd like to see spielberg do most uh superheroes i think it'd be interesting absolutely um just as like a you know thing to
1: as a thing to have right Um, dc call us we got some ideas
0: not sure if put steven spielberg on a superhero (laughs)
1: right exactly (laughs) (laughs) that took a lot of brain power to come up with that idea
0: yeah you know you know what else we should get uh quentin tarantino to do um you know like some martial arts films right um yeah i think that'd be that'd be good
1: yeah Um, exactly all
0: right well hand over
1: my million dollars
0: please Uh, I, uh, Speaking of though, I, I do want to see his. I wish we we had gotten his Star Trek movie. That just sounded insane. So it's a shame we never got the Quentin Tarantino
1: Star Trek movie. I haven't given up on that. He keeps saying he still wants to do it. So
0: the last I don't thing think, I, I, don't think... I saw him say is that he's he's just convinced he wants to do it, but he's convinced it won't happen.
1: That they won't let him. Yeah. Well, that yeah. may be true, but yeah,
0: that's kind of what I feel like is is what. I mean, I could complain about Star Trek for hours,
1: right?
0: And you know, but not just complain. But, In general, (laughs) yeah well thank you everyone for listening along to our description of quality comics that's been quality if there's any other company or a group of characters you'd like to see us tackle talk to you can always find us on our discord Mm -hmm. comment on our patreon page
1: i was going to say actually back us on patreon and then you can start telling us what to do
0: absolutely we love we love doing what our patrons uh ask us to do so thank you so much i've been steve tasker i'm darren watts have a good night
1: Thanks for coming.